Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And you know, as we look at this um, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 here, you know, that this speaks of, the, of a custom that was given, that was demonstrated actually in Genesis 38. And it was the custom of the Leverite. And, and basically what that means, the Leverite is the husband's brother. And the idea is that when, if two brothers had, had been married and the one brother passes away and he doesn't, his brother didn't have any children, he would take his wife to himself and she would be his wife as well. And he would be with her, and they would have children, and the children would be raised up under his brother's name. God creates beauty from ashes. Hi everyone and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, as we near the end of chapter 25 in the book of Deuteronomy, Pastor Rob explains how God was specific regarding family ties within the nation of Israel. Because God was keeping the bloodline of the Messiah alive and family inheritance within the tribes of Israel, he directed his will amongst his people. Pastor Rob uses an example documented in Genesis chapter 38, which shows how God keeps the family ties intact and turns ashes into beauty. Please turn your Bible now to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 25, and let's follow along with Pastor Rob. But you remember in Rome, that was quite a bit different. The Romans had what they called a flagellum, and they, they were different kinds of flagellum, and they would usually be a... a, a a, a handle, and there'd be leather strips, and sometimes there'd be two strips, sometimes there'd be three, sometimes seven. And you've all heard the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine, they would call it. Get, out, get the cat out of the bag. That's what the Romans would do. They'd have it in a bag, and they'd pull this thing out, and it was a cat of nine tails. And on those leather strips, there'd be pieces of metal and bone and, and um, glass embedded into it. And they would do that. And that you get hit with that a number of times, you're in pretty sad shape. But thank God, even in the Jews' time, you know, they just had a rod. They didn't have a flagellum. And even in that, God says, there's a, there's a point where you have to stop. And the Romans, they could care less. There was no limit. If the, if the soldiers really enjoyed it, and they were really getting into it, and the guy was being mouthy and lippy to them, they could go on for a time, and some people never survive those floggings. Paul knew this. Paul was, he experienced this very much. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, Paul was speaking about these false apostles that were coming after him, and he, he, his basic defense was, are they Hebrews? He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. 
Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. So he experienced these stripes more than one time. In prisons, more often. In deaths, often. From the Jews, notice, this is different. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So he received stripes. He received these floggings, and his body proved that he had Verse 4, it says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And while God does care for animals, he's also thinking about the human being. You know, if you had an, an ox and he was pulling the, and you were using him to harvest your field, and you're out there harvesting the grain and he's leading the way, if he stops every now and then or as he's going, he sticks his head down and grabs a little bit in his mouth and let him do it. Just keep going, right? He's getting nourishment from what he's doing. He, he's part of it. He's, he, he gets to be partaker of what he's doing. And the same idea, and, and God really is bringing this around to the, the human condition. Uh, and and we, we know that this is true because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, in Paul's exhortation to Timothy, he said, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, and he quotes from this very passage, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So even a minister who's in the word is, is, is worth being supported if, 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 if it's able, if it's possible. Verse 5, it says, If brothers dwell together... And one of them dies and has no son, and the widow of the dead man shall not be uh, shall the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall come and call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his father's or his brother's house, excuse me, and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. How would you like to have that name? What's your name? Well, my name is the house of him who had his sandal removed. I'm sure in that culture it meant a lot different. We can chuckle about it, but it was a kind of a shameful thing. And you know, as we look at this um, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 here, you know, this speaks of, the, of a custom that was given, that was demonstrated actually in Genesis 38. And it was the custom of the Leverite. And, and basically what that means, the Leverite is the husband's brother. And the idea is that when, if two brothers had, had been married and the one brother passes away and he doesn't, his brother didn't have any children, he would take his wife to himself and she would be his wife as well. And he would be with her, and they would have children. And the children would be raised up under his brother's name. All right? That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we don't do that in our culture, but they did that, in that reason, for that reason for a lot of different reasons. They kept the inheritances uh, together, and especially around the year of Jubilee when 
things would go back to the family. Everything was much more organized, and it kept the land of Israel the land of Israel. <laughs> and, and so that, that was important to do that. In fact, why don't you just turn with me to Genesis chapter 38. This is kind of a difficult chapter. We're just going to look at the first 11 verses, and then we'll stop. And it, this chapter is kind of interesting because it's really between chapter 37 and chapter 39. And you're saying, well, yes, that's what 38 is. 38's in between 37 and 38. Last I checked. But you'll notice in context of this, it speaks about Joseph and his brothers throwing him into prison and selling him to the Ishmaelites to take, be taken down into Egypt. But notice in verse 38, chapter 38, I'm sorry, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass at that time, and there's a lot to this, and we don't have time to go into it because there's some really interesting significances or significant things why this is placed in between these two verses. It's, it, it seems out of place, but it really isn't. But it says, It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers, and he visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. So Judah evidently had this friend who was an Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite woman. Were, were Jews supposed to marry Canaanite women? Isn't that what God told them to stay away from the, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites because they were an idolatrous people? And what is Judah doing? He's going in, and he goes in, he gets this wife, her name is Shua, and he married her, and he went in unto her, and she conceived, she bore a son, and he called his name Er. And yes, he did Er. <laughs> he called his name Er. Uh, I'm sure that's not what it means. But she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. So now you got three sons from this Canaanite woman, whom God loves, of course, but they were a people that God did not want the children of Israel, to be intermarrying, etc. And it says uh, he was at uh, Chezib when she bore him. It's just a, a frame of uh, location reference. But verse 6, Then Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. So now you got a, a, a woman who is now a widow. And Judah said to Onan, his brother, Go in to your brother's wife. She hasn't no children. The Lord struck your brother down. Now go into his wife, uh, your brother's wife, and marry her and raise up an heir to her brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother wives, went into his brother's wife, that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. So he was supposed to be with her physically and to raise up seed for her for his brother, but instead he doesn't do that. And, 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 and there's, there's evidence to believe that this wasn't just one time. This was something that he was doing. So he was just kind of uh, enjoying the pleasure of the thing and not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And the Lord killed him also, it says in verse 10. And that may seem kind of harsh, but God is serious. Verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. So now he's saying, Wait for Shelah. He's the youngest. Go to your father's house, Tamar, because both of these men are dead. The only one left is Shua, but he's really too young to marry you and raise up kids to you. So go back to your father's house, and I'm just going to paraphrase it from here for the sake of time. So she goes back to her father's house. Years go by. Tamar's like, okay, I'm without a husband. I was supposed to get Shelah. He was the, the youngest now. 
And Judah, even though the boy is grown and old and old enough to procreate, Judah does nothing. So Tamar takes upon herself. She says, well, if you're not going to give me Shua, I'm going to get seed out of this family. <laughs> so she dresses up. She takes off the garments of her widowhood. She dresses like a harlot, like a prostitute. And Judah sees her, doesn't recognize that it's Tamar, goes in unto her. She conceives. And then later on, and he gives her a pledge. He says, if, if, if you'll let me come in unto you, I'll give you a, 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 one of the herd, uh, one of the animals from his herd. And she goes, well, why don't you give me something as a, as a pledge? It kind of fits in with what we're talking about tonight, doesn't it? I'll give me a pledge. It's like a collateral, so I know you'll keep your promise. So he gives her his staff, right? It's a big deal. And he also gives her the signet that he had around his necklace on his, around his neck. He gives that to her as well. So he goes on his way, and he tells his friend, Hira, to go give the the ox or whatever it is to this woman. And by the way, pick up my staff and my signet. Can't find the girl. Later on down the road, it, she basically exposes him. The town realizes that she played the harlot, and now she's pregnant. So they're bringing her out. They're about ready to stone her to death. And Judah says she ought to be stoned, by the way, because he was a member of that society. He comes and he condemns her, not knowing that it was her. And then she comes out and says, The man to whom this staff belongs and the man to whom this signet belongs is the father of the child. And Judah is, you know, drawing flies because his mouth is hitting the ground, right? Ashamed, certainly publicly humiliated. Now, it wasn't right that he did that, of course, and it wasn't right that she took matters into her own hands. But there, the, the, the idea in this whole thing was that the, the, he was supposed to give Shelah, his youngest, he waited way too long, and Tamar is getting impatient. She's like, years have gone by, and pretty soon I'm not even going to be able to bear children if I wait a long, you know, long enough, so she takes matters into her own hands. But Judah wasn't fair. He wasn't doing the right thing. And neither did she, by the way. But God rose up. You know, through the child that was born to her, Perez. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, you'll see Perez in the bloodline of who? Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You know, you'd think the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, would have this unblemished, you know, pure, pristine bloodline. And, and I love the fact that God doesn't hide the, the frailty of man and, and, the, and the things that they do wrong. He says, no. He says, in the midst of all that tragedy, in the midst of all that mess that it is, I'm still going to bring my son. And didn't he do it through Mary? Didn't he do it through Joseph, who was an heir to David's throne, an heir? He, he was of the line of, 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 of David. And so was Heli the father, I believe, of Mary, of the bloodline as well. And so now God doesn't use a man. He impregnates Mary by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth, the, the, the very one of the essential tenets of the Christian faith. If any man was involved with Mary, then we are the most miserable people on the world. 
in the world, if that's the case. Because if the virgin birth is false, then everything we're doing right here tonight is meaningless. Do you realize that? But what did Isaiah say in chapter 7, verse 14? And the virgin shall conceive 700 years before Christ was even incarnate. He always existed, but before he came into the form of a human being, 700 years prior to that, Isaiah says in verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 14, And the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And the government should be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is who was born to Mary, not of the seed of man, but the seed of God himself. And so, I think we're going to stop there. But it's interesting, isn't it? Just when you start looking at these laws and these different uh, commandments and things. We see in Israel's history, before and after, we see them going through these things and and God, you know, um, bringing them to account of these things. And it's also for future generations. Isn't that what the Bible says? That the Word of God is there for our nurture. It's there for our admonition. It's there for our learning. It's there for instruction. If we would be willing to listen, and God does that because He loves us, I love the fact that there are boundaries. Any child will tell you that if they grow up where there's no boundaries, they don't sense any assurance of love around them at all. And it's true. They may say, well, I'm the most free. I can do whatever I want. My parents don't care what I do. I can stay out as late as I want. I can hang out with whoever I want to hang out. I can listen to whatever music I want. I'm listening. I'm watching movies. That I can do whatever I want. And boy, am I free. No, you're a slave. <laughs> You're a slave because all the filth of the world, you're going to gravitate toward it. And what does that do? It puts you into bondage, doesn't it? Why is it that the more freedom we're given, why, isn't, why is it that we're never more holy at the end of it? Why isn't it that we are, how come we're not better people as a result of having the gates wide open? If that were the case, then you wouldn't have anything to say about it. You're like, wow, you got the freedom and, you know, praise the Lord, you know. You... But that's not the case. It's never the case. Whenever natural man is presented without boundaries, he always resorts to sin. And the downfall is great. It always, does. It always happens. But when out of love, your parent or your caregiver puts well-defined boundaries around you, You may feel restricted. You may kick against it because you feel like you're not being able to express yourself. Well, I can't find myself with all these rules and regulations. I can't do this. I can't do that. And all you do is complain. And you don't realize that those things are there for your for your good. Thank God that our you know my you know your your parents tell you no, you can't listen to secular music. In this house, you're going to listen to Christian music. Believe me, there's enough genres out there to to satisfy any beat that you have in your heart. Believe me, there's some really good stuff out there. You don't need to go to the world. There's some really great music out there now in the Christian world. Not all of it's worship, but at least it's good and it doesn't keep, you know, pull you away. But boundaries are good, folks, and that's why, that's why he gives us these things. That's why he gave it to Israel. Again, they were going to go into a land full of idolatry, 
They were going to dispossess a people who were involved in all kinds of wicked things. And God says, i got to tell you the truth before you go in. Because, because I want to squelch your fun? Because I want to just make your life miserable? No, I'm doing this because I love you. Have you ever had to tell your son or your daughter, you don't understand this, but I'm limiting you right now, and you may hate me for it, and that's fine. But sooner or later, you're going to come back to me, and you're going to say, you know what? I am so glad you didn't let me go to that party, Mom. I'm so glad you didn't let me go to that fraternity party, Dad. Because when I got there, they were handing out acid, and one of the kids had it, and it was a bad batch, and three kids died that night. And I probably would have done it just for fun. And you didn't let me go because you knew that at the end of those things, nothing is really good. You restricted me, and it saved my life. It protected me. And see, that's what a parent does. It's what a a loving caregiver will do. And God is our loving caregiver. So it behooves us, doesn't it, to listen, to take into account these things. And not only was it good for them, for the children of Israel, even though they made their mistakes, believe me, their crime rate was low (laughs) because of these things. There's something to be said about that. There's something to be said about all these things. So let the word of God dwell richly within you and take it, listen to it, meditate on it, think about it, put it into practice. Because if you don't put it into practice, folks, you know what's going to happen? It's just going to go in one ear and out the other. We'll just be highly educated, biblically illiterate, or biblically literate sinners. But we need to go beyond that. Be biblically literate and put it in practice. Because if you don't put it into practice, you're just going to be a biblically literate sinner. Forgiven, if you confess, but your life's going to be a wreck. Let's purpose in our hearts. Tonight, as we read anything in the Word of God, to take it in deep and let it, let it be like what David says, that thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you, O Lord. Let that be the truth of your own heart. Let that be the desire of your heart. And you'll be the much better for it. For you, your family, your spouse, the culture that you live in, everyone around you, you're going to be a light that everyone will see. And isn't that what God wants us to be? He wants to be a city on a hill. He wants to, us to be a light post, a lamp post in the middle of a dark place. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, um, for your word, Lord. And even, even in what we call the law, Lord, we know that the law is good. We know that you, um, Lord, that these things were written for our nurture and for our admonition, Lord. So please, Lord, help us this week to, as we read your word, seek out ways and be very aware to, to, to really be purposeful in the things that we do and the things that we say, taking into account the things that we've read, Lord. Please don't let us just become a bunch of educated Bible people who continue doing what we want, God. May your word permeate us and change us radically, God. We need you, and we pray you do it. And start tonight, Lord. Start with me afresh again. Just cleanse my heart and my brothers' and my sisters' hearts. Cleanse our motives, Lord, our actions, the things that we say, the things that we do. And God, help us to live purposely and to be looking forward and be thinking ahead 
instead of just sitting back and letting and being in a reactive place. Lord, help us to be proactive in this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, only you can do it in us. We surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.